right, good morning, East. So glad you're with us today. You can make your way on in. We're gonna stand and we're gonna worship because the Lord is good. His love endures and he is worthy of our praise, amen? If you would, just lift your hands with me. We're commanded to lift our hands and worship him. Lord, we worship you, we thank you. We are here for you today. Come on, let's sing this out. Self-existent beyond the end before beginning, eternal one, creator God, you made the world and it was good. All in all, self-sufficient, so high above, but never distant. Made for your love, fashioned from dice, you gave us breath, and it was good. Let's lift it up. In all the glory and honor, blessing and power, because your name alone is worthy, worthy forever, the praise is yours.
morning. Can we do that? Yes, let's do it. Come on, sing together.
Church, can we give God praise this morning for that? Amen. It's good to see your faces this morning. Welcome to 10 a.m. at New Life East. We're going to, in just a second here, we're going to take up um, the first of our special offerings that we've talked about to fuel the expansion of our ministry on the east side of the city. And all week long, I've been thinking about this moment and what I would say to you, and I had all these clever and profound things. And then this morning, I felt like the Lord was like, just tell it to him straight. Why would we do this? I'll give you two reasons. One is we do this because everything, think about this church, everything that we have and everything that we are, it already belongs to God, okay? And David, in one moment, at one point in the Old Testament, they took up a big offering like we're about to do to fuel what God was doing among the people. And, when the, and it was an over-the-top offering. And David offers it up to the Lord. You know what he says? He says, thine own of thine own, O God. What a thing. He says, we've only given you what came from your hand. It's an honor for us to do this. So why would we give? Because God's given us everything. But you know the other reason why we would give? Because we believe that when we come together with our strength, we can do more together than we can do alone. And we believe that Jeremiah 29, 11 is true over New Life East. For I know the plans that I have for you, New Life East. Uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And we believe that God is breathing strength into this community for the sake of people on the east side of the city. And so in just a second here, we're going to pray over this offering and we're going to call you to come forward and bring your gifts, your offerings this morning. But I want to just say one thing to you. All week long, I've been thinking, what do I say directly to the people of New Life East in this moment? And I've had Isaiah 62 in my heart for months and months and months now. I've been praying this over us as a community and over you as individuals. By the way, that's just the kids coming in. The kids are going to go first in the offering this morning. So we're having them filter to the back. So give it up for our kids this morning as they come and join us here for worship. But I want you this morning, as you hold your gift in your hand this morning, New Life East, I want to prophesy these verses over you and over us together. And so just hold your, if you got your gift in your hand, hold it up before the Lord. Even if you don't, just hold your hands up before the Lord and receive this this morning. This is for us together. And this is for all of us as individuals. The Lord says this, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. And the nations will see your vindication and all the kings will see your glory. And you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you. What a thought. The Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. Then listen to this, New Life East. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. This is the promise of the scriptures, that our builder is marrying us, that the one who is able to give us hope in a future, the one who is able to make our lives strong and robust and sound, he's marrying us and he's bringing his strength into our lives. And so now I just prophesy that over New Life East. I say that as a young man marries a young woman, so our builder has married New Life East. I thank you in our four-year history, oh God, you have been with us. 
through water and fire, you have brought us and you're bringing us to a place of abundance. And so I say, New Life East, you have hope and you have future. I say, New Life East, that you're a crown of splendor on God's head and you're a royal diadem in the hand of our God. And we thank you, Lord God, that this morning, all of these gifts and offerings that are brought, they're going to fuel ministry that is gonna touch generations beyond what we can see. That's for all of the people, like what we're doing this morning is not for us. What we're doing this morning is for all of those people, like all of the sheep, Jesus, that are not yet part of this pen. And so we ask that you would build up this house and make it strong, that it would be a house of worship, a house of presence, a house of reconciliation, a house of justice, a place where the kingdom of God is seen and displayed. And now I'm praying over all of your lives individually, New Life Feast. I say as a young man marries a young woman, so your God is marrying you. And I'm prophesying over every household here that God has hope and a future for you. We're praying for breakthroughs in jobs. We're praying for breakthroughs in finances. We're praying for breakthroughs in relationships. We're praying for breakthroughs in bodies. We're saying as a young man marries a young woman, our builder is marrying us, that our lives are being built up and they're made strong and sound by the power of God. And we receive that this morning, Jesus. These are your promises. And we're combining your promises with our faith. And we're expecting to see miracles. So grand, and we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. So listen, there are offering envelopes here. You can put your offering in there. If you brought credit card and you wanna give that way, you can do your credit card information in there. There's also gonna be a QR code on our screens here. So maybe you're here with us this morning. This is your first time with us and you're a visitor. We, we no pressure on you to participate, but if you'd like to, you can just scan the QR code. It'll go straight into the facility fund. And then those of you that are worshiping with us online, you can also use the QR code to join with us in giving this morning. Four giving stations right up front here. We're gonna have the kids come forward and bring their offerings first. And then as the Lord leads you, bring your offerings and let's continue to worship as we give this morning. Oh 
Can we sing worthy of it all? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Church, come on. You are the other. 
Let's join our voices together and praise the Lord Jesus taught us. Say it with me, church. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. If you agree with that, give God praise real loud this morning, church. Jesus says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be also. As I was watching the kids go through, I was crying. As we were giving our offering, I was crying. Our hearts are so here for you and with you, New Life East. I cannot wait to see all that the Lord has for us in the future. If this is your first time with us, such a joy to have you in our house. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. New Life East is one of eight congregations of New Life Church spread out across Colorado Springs. We'd love the opportunity to meet you. You can come and see us after the service, right? And Connect Central over here. We've got a gift for you. You can answer any questions that you might have. If you're giving your regular tithes and offerings uh, this morning, all the same ways apply. You can give a check. You can give online, the mobile app, all of that stuff. And so thanks for your tithes and offerings. That keeps the house of God working around here. Two things. I need to share with you one celebration this morning. Uh, as you know, we took on 92 families for adoptive families this holiday season, and we got all of them covered last week. All the families have been adopted. So that's 92 different households that you're going to be making a difference in this December New Life East. Good job. And then also, uh, just remember that the last first Wednesday, I know that's an odd thing to say, but the last first Wednesday of the year is coming up this coming Wednesday night at New Life North, 6.30 p.m. It's an extended time of prayer and worship. And as we're here taking up our offering this morning, New Life North is also taking up an offering to pay off all of the debt up there. And so we are trusting God that this Wednesday night, we're going to be able to set that mortgage note on fire on the stage. Uh, so make sure to show up for that. It's going to be a great night of prayer. Uh, and worship. I'm trying to think if I got anything else to say. Did I do it? Did I do the things? Christmas Eve is December 24th this year. It's supposed to be funny. Kind of funny. Uh, but it's a Sunday, so we won't have morning services that day, okay? So 2 p.m. and 4 p.m., family services, both of them. So kids will be in here with us. It's going to be a great time together, candlelight and all that stuff. Okay, uh, turn around, and uh, it's so great to have our two groups together. So there's probably some faces in here that you don't know. Turn around and introduce yourself to a few people. Pastor Rory will open the word in just a second here. Good morning, New Life East. You can go ahead and take a seat. How fun is it to see people at church that you don't normally 
see some of you are like, I don't know, this is change, it's a lot of change. You don't like change. I get it. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to see you. If you're a guest, we'd love to say hi to you after this service. In Connect Central, we have a gift for you. It's just our way of saying thank you for being a part of New Life East. Um, man, today, among uh, all sorts of like new things and different things that we're doing, today we also kick off the season of Advent here at New Life Church. And so, um, you know, you see the candles down here in front. We're doing it a little bit differently than we've done in years past. So we'll light one of these before service is over today to sort of mark the moment. Um, if you have a Bible, we are going to be jumping out of Isaiah 64 as we kick off this, these next four weeks. Four weeks. Or is Advent shorter, longer this year? Is it five weeks? Four weeks? Three weeks? Well, we're going to do it until we don't. That's basically how all this stuff works anyways. But this is where we're going to start. Isaiah 64. Isaiah writes this. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you would rip the skies open, you would break in. This is Isaiah calling out to God. That the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect. I love that line. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Everybody say wait. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are like the work, we are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. God, we are, uh, we are thankful and surprised by what has happened here this morning. That we have seen the, the whole, both parts of a community of faith coming together in one space and in a wave of generosity and sacrifice, we have sensed your spirit with us. So God, thank you for being the kind of God who shows up among your people. Thank you for being that kind of God. Thank you for being the kind of God who tears open the heavens and comes to be with us. We witnessed that this morning. And so we ask, as we always do, that as we open up these scriptures, as we dive into these words, that you would continue to do that, that you would continue to meet us in this space, that spirit, you would speak the soft words that you need to speak to all of us. I know that for many of us, Coming into church is a challenge in and of itself, and sometimes we come in and we have to do all sorts of mental gymnastics and filtering to just get to a moment where we can hear you. So we ask that you would quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, and help us hear, hear your still, small voice. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Amen. As I said, we are, uh, we're kicking off the season of Advent today. And Advent has historically been a season that is marked by the posture of waiting. It's waiting. We think about it for us right now in the calendar. We're sort of waiting to arrive in the calendar to that moment where we remember the, the birth of sweet baby Jesus. And, but for them, there, you know, there's also this waiting of, of God to sort of break in. And even now, you and I, we wait for the moment where Jesus would not return to us as a baby, but would return to us as the great redeemer of all things, who takes all of the dysfunction and chaos of the world and puts it back together and makes all things right. We wait for not just Christmas, but for this cosmological event to occur where Jesus would show back up and things would be made right. But it's not just a season of of waiting. It's a season of waiting that has historically been marked by waiting in the midst of like adverse circumstances. You think about the, the first Christmas that, you know, that stretch where Mary is is giving birth to baby Jesus. And what the people of God have just gone through is, you know, the intertestamental period, this space between the Old Testament and the New Testament where, you know, they would say that God had been silent for hundreds of years, that no like prophetic word had been spoken. There was nothing being written down about what God was saying. And so for them, they have this sense that God is, well, he's not around. And if he's around, he's certainly not saying anything of any importance. And they find themselves waiting on the promises of the Messiah to come and rescue and redeem Israel from all of the weight that has been applied around them. And you and I, we, we find ourselves in a similar space of waiting. The world that we live in is, well, it's quite chaotic. We look around globally, there's wars, there's thousands of people losing their lives in Palestine and the Gaza Strip. We look at our country and there's racial division. There's all sorts of things going on around us. Maybe even just in your own personal life, your, your family feels fractured, relationships feel off-put. And we find ourselves too waiting for God, asking God, God, are you going to break into the middle of my situation and do something? Even using our minds to think back to when Isaiah pens these words, Assyria is like pressing in on Judah and Israel. Judah and Israel have had like a stretch of good times, but what we know from Isaiah's writing is that the wealth that has been accumulated has sort of settled at the top of the food chain, and there are those with a lot, but there are a lot of those with a little. The poor have been forgotten, the broken are just wandering the streets, and people are marginalized left and right. And Isaiah is calling out to God, hoping for this day of justice and judgment where God would, in fact, break into space and time and heal and bring goodness into the world. So it's not just a season of waiting, it's a season of waiting, recognizing that we often find ourselves in like adverse circumstances, and those are the moments where we're waiting for God the most. But the beauty of Advent is that we know we're not like waiting in vain. We know we're not waiting with, you know, pessimism or cynicism. We're waiting with reality. We know that things are not as they should be, but we're waiting because we know that God is the kind of God who is always breaking in through space and time. He's done it historically. He promises to do it in the future. And those of you, you've seen it happen in your own lives, that God, he promises to constantly break into the midst of our lives. And when he does, what does he do? Well, he brings about salvation. He saves us. He saves others. He rescues and brings redemption. This is why Advent, while it is marked by a true reality of waiting, it's also marked by the reality that we know what's coming. We know what's about to come. I love the way that Robert 
Farrar Capone, he says this about Advent. I love this. He says, Advent is the church's annual celebration of the silliness of salvation. The whole thing really is a divine lark. God has fudged everything in our favor. Without shame or fear, we rejoice to behold his appearing. Yes, there is dirt under the divine deliverer's fingernails, but no, it, is in, it isn't in any way different from all the other dirt of history. He says the main thing is he's got the package and we've got the trust. And we are watch, what we are watching for is a party. And that party is not just down the street making up its mind when it comes to us. I love this. It's already hiding in our basement, banging on our steam pipes and laughing its way up our cellar stairs. You're going to think about those weird noises in your house a little bit differently after today. The unknown day and hour of its finally bursting into the kitchen and roistering its way through the whole house is not dreadful. It's all part of the divine lark of grace. God is not our mother-in-law coming to see whether her wedding present china has been chipped. He is funny old uncle with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. We do indeed need to watch for him, but only because it would be such a pity to miss all the fun. That's Advent, folks. We are waiting in the midst of adverse circumstances, but we know there is something good coming. There's a party on its way. But it's interesting. Because if I learned anything in my short time on this earth is that there are two things about waiting that are true. One, we will all have moments where we are waiting for something to happen. We will all have moments where we are waiting for the dreams to come to life, where we are waiting for the healing to come, where we are waiting for things to be fixed, where we are just waiting for the fast food line to go a little bit faster. We will all have moments of waiting, but the other thing that I know to be true is that humans are really bad at it. For such a reality that we cannot escape from, we have not quite figured out how to wait well. But it's just a part of life. I would actually extend to you that it's just a part of faith. The truth about waiting is that we will either become frustrated by the experience of waiting or we we will be transformed by it. You get to choose. You get to choose. We can either find ourselves frustrated by the stretch we we, we see ourselves in of waiting for something to happen or we will be transformed by it. So the question is, not will you wait, Not when will you wait, but when you wait, who will you be? So let's start with this today. This might seem a little counterintuitive to you, but if we want to be people who uh, wait well, we must become people who are actually willing to wait. I know it seems a little ridiculous in a talk about waiting to say, well, if we want to be good at waiting, we have to first of all be willing to wait. But most of us aren't. Most of us, if we even detect any sign of waiting, it's like all craft pull up, we we get out of there as fast as possible. We have no interest in waiting. And the truth is most of us, well, we don't like waiting because we just can't do anything that long. If you've watched the show Ted Lasso, you know that a goldfish has the attention span of how long? Nine seconds, give or take. You know what's really fascinating? I just found this out the other day. Microsoft did a study just a few years back to figure out what the, long, what the typical attention span of a human is. Do you know how long it is? Eight seconds. So, Ted Lasso, he says, be a goldfish. When adverse things happen, let them slide by. 
And he's got a good point. But you as a human do not even have the ability to focus on something for nine seconds. You get bored with it after eight seconds. We just don't like waiting for anything that long. Anything, according to this, anything that might last more than nine seconds, we're immediately like, nah, we should move on from this. Eight seconds. Not an hour and a half long movie. Not a couple episodes of The Office. Eight seconds. Every eight seconds, your brain is like, do we want to keep doing this? And you know what most of us do? We go, now let me get my phone out real quick. There's all sorts of reasons why our attention span and our ability to like sit in things is decreasing. Social media is certainly a part of that. We just live in like a microwave society in general. We don't like anything that takes a long time. We want things to go quicker. So most of us, we just can't do anything for that long. Most of the purchases that we make on a credit card are usually done out of the response of, well, I want this thing, but I want it now. I'll have the money in a few weeks, but why not just buy it now? Vocationally, even many of us, we find ourselves going, I, I like my job, but I want, I want a bigger paycheck, and I want it now. I, I, I have this job, but I would like a bigger role, and I would like it well now. But the truth is, for most of us, the reason we're in the spot that we're in is our character and our capacity couldn't handle the next big thing. So we've been set with this. Or I even think about, I even think about relationally. A pastor named John Mark Comer, some of you have read his book. He has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a New York Times bestseller, all that stuff. One of the things that he says in that book that has stuck with me for a long time is that love and hurry are incompatible. You can't rush past relationships. You have to have some level of patience. You have to have some ability to wait. I think if every time, every time in my life I have tried to rush through my child's bedtime routine, it's as if he knows it. And it's like, we're going to see how much you really love me tonight, Dad. Can you be patient? Can you wait it out? So it's not just that we don't like waiting. I just read the other day an author named Jason Farman. He says this. He said, in the United States, we think of time as our scarcest resource. If someone were to make me wait, they would be limiting my ability to be successful in this life. This is how most Americans think about time. So it's not just that we don't like waiting or that we're kind of bad at it, but the truth is, I think most of us believe that waiting is inherently harmful for us. If you were to make me wait, you are actually causing and inflicting pain in my life. And you know what's just psychologically true about humans? If we identify something as harmful, you know the primary emotion that comes out of it? Fear. So waiting for most humans is not done with excitement and anticipation. It's done with fear and apprehension. Those of you who have ever had a medical diagnosis know this. You go in for the tests and you wait to get the results and your mind starts telling you all sorts of things that are gonna come back. Well, what if the results are, are positive? What does that mean for your life, your well-being? Maybe the dream that you have just won't come to pass. We start waiting and we just begin to tell ourselves, well, it's just never going to happen. Maybe the job offer won't come. And then you know what inevitably starts to happen is we start to do this thing where we go, well, maybe, maybe this thing I thought God was with me in at the beginning, now God's nowhere to be found. So maybe God's not waiting with me right now. Or even worse, maybe God doesn't even care. Maybe he never cared. Fear in the life of faith almost always tries to take us to a place of doubt. 
So you find yourself waiting. Maybe it started open-handed. Now it's closed fist. Now you're terrified. Now you're apprehensive of what even could happen. We tend to believe that, that waiting is just going to wound us in the end. But you know what's interesting about what Isaiah does here? Just in this text, I love this line. He says, for when you did awesome things that we just didn't expect, we just didn't expect it. I think what we need to begin to do is to believe that on the other side of waiting, there can be good things. Or maybe a better way to say it is this, is that we must remember that our God has a record of doing surprisingly good things, especially on the other side of waiting. I think about what Isaiah says in in just another part of his book, Isaiah 40. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say to Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Isn't it funny? We know that God is still our God, but we wonder if he's paying attention at all. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fail. But those who hope in the Lord will what? Renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is not like a cliche thing that you just put on a card to remind yourself that you can do hard things. It's a reminder that when you have to wait for something to come to pass, the way that our God works is he is always trying to work every bit of it for the betterment of those who love him. That is just how he does things. So even if you find yourself in a season of waiting right now and you're going, God, what, are you even here? Are you even present? Are you even going to do anything? God's actually going to do something that is going to surprise you. Surprise! He will shock you with the good things that he can do in the end. We have to be people, though, who are willing to sit in the awkwardness of the waiting. But even if we find ourselves, like accepting the reality of waiting, we, we sort of shut off our... Uh, subpar goldfish brain, and we say, we're willing to do this. One of the things that Isaiah continually brings up is that when God's people find themselves waiting, a phenomenon tends to happen. They start to behave poorly. One of the things that I would tell you today is that if we're going to wait, we must commit to living well in the middle of the waiting. It's not enough to just say, okay, God, I'm going to wait. We have to commit to live well. I think about how he phrases it. He says, God, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But, there's always a but in the Bible. That's weird. When we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? For all of us who have become like one who is unclean, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you have hidden your face from us. So this, this passage in Isaiah starts with Isaiah begging God to rip open the heavens, show us your face. And he says, but there's a problem. You've hidden your face because in the midst of this waiting, in the midst of these adverse circumstances, what we have done as people is we have gone completely off the rails. We have gone completely sideways. We've not loved our neighbors well. We have not worshiped you, God, with our whole hearts. You have hidden your face from us, and you have just given us over to our sins. The great moral conundrum that comes to us in the midst, in the midst of waiting is not just will you wait. It's will you wait well. Will you wait in a way that maintains both your character and your holiness. Because most of us, when we find ourselves in a spot of waiting, 
We try to figure out all the ways that we can get around it, or even worse, we try to find all the ways to alleviate our anxiety. And often those things look like sin. We start to behave poorly. You know, if there's one place in the world where the great social experiment of waiting has been put on full display for everyone to see, it is Denver International Airport. Like, it is just on full display. How will people wait? And it starts, and here's the clue, not well. Because it starts for most of us in the drive up. You know, because they, they have all these rules, right? Don't park by the curb. This is like a stop and go sort of situation. Don't stop by the curb. You, they really make it so you don't even have time to unload your suitcase. They kind of expect you to just throw it out and jump out with it. But none of us listen to those rules. There's signs posted everywhere. Go this way for arrivals. Go this way for departures. I had somebody pick me up in an airport not long ago, and they said, hey, I know you just got here. I'm going to pick you up in the departures line. And I was like, dude, that doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm at the arrivals. And he's like, yeah, it'll go way faster was his conclusion. You get to the airport, you ignore all the signs, and then you get inside. And they have this, um, this contraption called uh, TSA. And you get there and you realize that everyone and their mother have also gotten there at the exact same time. And as you get there, they start presenting you with all these protocols and procedures because you're going to wait there for 30 minutes. So they can basically read you the Declaration of Independence if, they, if you would like. And you start walking. They say, hey, when you get there, you're going to take your belt off. You're going to take your shoes off. You're going to take your jacket off. You can't wear glasses. And I'm like, but I can't see. And they're like, we don't care. They're like, you're going to put your bag down, and when you put your bag down, you're going to take every bit of electronic device that you might have and put it out. But then there are these odd moments where they look at you and go, actually, we're just pushing everyone through today. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel better. I felt safe. It was taking a long time. Now I feel like we're moving at a good clip, but now I have no idea who's on my flight. It could be serial killers. And you guys know, because I've told stories, I'm a pretty patient guy at the airport. So I'm willing to wait in the security line. And God forbid at TSA that they actually pull your bag. You know that awkward moment you've gone through, they've scanned you, wanded you, and you're waiting for your bag to come through and you see it get pulled into that little side thing? You take a big deep breath. You wait there. I remember I was flying not long ago and my bag went through. I was flying with a buddy. And when I travel, I, I often will travel with like a lacrosse ball in my bag because this is going to be a life hack for some of you who have like back and shoulder pain. If you're traveling and you can like lay the lacrosse ball on the ground or on a wall, you can get in like the tight spots in your shoulders. It's a whole thing. So I travel with a lacrosse ball, make sure it was good. My bag gets pulled. Ten minutes go by. No one's talking to me. They're like rummaging through my bag. I kind of say something. Again, very polite because you know me. And... They go, there's an object in here, and we don't quite know what it is. And I go, can you ask, can you describe it to me? No, we can't describe it to you. Okay, I, that's fine. Ten more minutes go by. They've called two other security people over to look at this object. And I finally see what they're holding, and they're holding this lacrosse ball. And I sort of yell out loud, guys, it's a lacrosse ball. Like, they play sports with it. I use it for my back. And I hear one of them whisper to the other one, do you think he could use it as a weapon, though? Could I use it as a, what am I going to put it in a sock and like swing it around on the airport? No, it's not a weapon. 45 minutes later, they finally let me go through. And I have been so patient. And then you finally get to the terminal and there's really only two options of things you can do. You can either spend $35 at Chili's for a cheeseburger that would have been $9 outside of the airport. 
Or for some reason, the bars are open at 10 a.m. And you realize pretty quickly why day drinking is such a popular thing among people. Because you've been waiting for hours. And then you do the thing where you go and check. You're, you're flying out of gate 17. So you go to gate 17 because you just want to make sure that gate 17 exists. So you see it and you're like, okay, it's there. Now we're going to just sit around here for two more hours and wait until we get on our flight. And hopefully everything goes great. You get on your flight, you fly, and then you land. And then the worst thing happens. You have to deboard the plane. And I just want to tell you as a pastor, this is a very theological statement. There are two kinds of people in this universe. There are those who will one day meet Jesus face to face with a warm, loving embrace. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there's the people who stand up before it's their turn to get off the plane. And I don't know where they're going to go in the afterlife. But I bet they get there before we do. Anyways, I've never seen adults behave more poorly than when it's time to deboard a plane. They start pushing each other, elbowing people, spreading. My point is this. As humans, we just have a tendency to start behaving really poorly when waiting is on the table. We find ourselves looking for just little ways to alleviate the anxiety. And often, when you talk to people, the way that that anxiety is alleviated Things like addictions, hidden sin, just alleviates the anxiety. Maybe there, maybe there are some of you in here who the way that you like, get through the waiting is you're waiting for like your job to figure itself out. You're waiting for something in your career to move. And the way you justify it, you just start gossiping about things. Because it just helps you feel like something is moving. Like the ball's going somewhere. You don't know where, but it's going somewhere. Maybe in relationships, you're like waiting for things to be healed and you keep pushing and pressing the other person to like come to a conclusion about what they want to do. It's just causing more fracture and more pain. So New Life is, I would ask you, I wonder what that temptation is for you in the middle of waiting. What's the thing that like haunts you and says, if you would just do this, it would be okay. What's the thing that as you wait, we must be people who figure out how to wait well because we're willing to, but also because we're not going to get pushed sideways. We're not going to get derailed. We're not going to ruin our lives as we sit and as we wait. Last thing that I want to say to you today is that we can be people who are willing to wait. We can be people who like maintain our character and maintain holiness. We can do all of that. I think about what Isaiah says here at the end of chapter 64, because the truth about waiting is that it often hurts. You're not just wondering if God is still with you. You're not just wondering if he's paying attention to what's going on in your life. It, it can be painful. Some of you have been waiting for things for a long time. Like it's not just a season. You're like waiting to see if your marriage can be reconciled. You're waiting to see if physical healing can come to your body. You've prayed for it. You've asked for it. And with every prayer, it just feels more and more disappointing and draining. You've prayed for financial freedom to show up in your life. And it just feels like it keeps getting... And stuff. You prayed for your own like sanctification in your life. God, would you, would you come and do something? And it's just, it feels like with every sort of failed attempt, there's just more pain and more pain that comes with the waiting. But I find it fascinating that Isaiah chooses to sort of wrap up this section like this. He says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. 
Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. If you've ever wondered if that's true, we are all your people. This is what God says about you. Can we put those verses back up? Verse 8. Just leave it up there for a second. Not Job, the one before it. Yeah. Isaiah says, yet you, Lord, in the midst of all this waiting, in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this animosity, we're waiting for you to break into our lives. We know that you're like our father. And you hear stories, countless stories of people who wrestling with the idea that God could be their father comes with all sorts of baggage. They have to move around the, they have to filter out the way that they think about their own father here on earth. They have to think about what it means to be loved and cared for. They have to think about what that even looks like. And I often hear people saying, I just don't know, I don't know how to relate to God like a father. And I think Isaiah gives us a picture is that somehow to look at God like a father is to view ourselves as something as well, which is to view ourselves as this clay. It's malleable material that is in the hands of God. And what waiting often feels like is like stretching and pulling. You're hoping that something is happening, but you're never quite sure if anything is actually resolving. Is anything happening here? If you've ever like watched someone make a pot or make a cup on like a potter's wheel, you know that initially they have to like you have to press really hard on that clay. You have to stretch it really hard. But after a while, it starts to smooth itself out. And all the hands of the potter are really doing is just keeping it safe. It's not yet a cup. It's not yet complete, but it's, it's going somewhere. And all that God is doing is just keeping his hands around us. I think this is the picture of it, is that for him to be a good father, to be with us in the midst of waiting, as we're like spinning, he's... He's just keeping his hands around us. There are moments where he's pushing, where he's pulling, where things have to be shifted and transformed, but ultimately what he does is just holds us together. The character that kept coming to my mind when I think about this image is the person of Job. This metaphor of being like clay is used throughout the book of Job a dozen times or so. And I love the way that Job says this in chapter 10. He says, he's talking to God. He says, God, your hands, they shaped me and they made me. And he asked God a really pertinent question. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? And I think this is the great question that waiting thrusts upon us. God, you are holding us. You are shaping us. He has the ability to do just about anything he wants. Our great question of God is you have formed us, you have made us into something. Will you now crush us or will you form us? And here's what I wanna tell you about our God today is that our God has really gentle hands. If you find yourself in a season of waiting right now, like you're just waiting for God to break into your life, he's with you and he's holding you. And our God has really gentle hands. He's not gonna destroy what he's created. He's not gonna rewind what he has brought to fruition right now. He's gonna keep holding us until we become everything that he has called us to be. Can I invite you to stand this morning, New Life East? Part of the season of Advent is what we do is we mark this awaiting of the coming of Jesus by lighting one of these candles. And so we're gonna do that this morning. And I want you to, keep your eye on it because there is, there's literally nothing happening here right now. It feels like nothing is happening. These are 
inanimate objects on a table, nothing is going on. And yet what we believe as Christians is that the light of the world has the ability to break in at any given moment into our lives. And when he does, it's not like this invisible thing, it's this visible thing. We will see the goodness of the Lord. We will see him show up. I wanna invite our communion servers to come forward this morning. One of the ways that we know that God is always with us, even in the midst of our waiting, is that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Every time you eat, would you do this in remembrance of me? That same night he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink, would you do so in remembrance of me? So New Life East, we are in Advent. It is a season of waiting. We will be people who live well in that waiting, trusting that our God is holding us and being kind with us. These are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Would you come forward to receive communion?
just sing that chorus one more time together and take courage. So take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. He's never failing. He's never failing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Paul says, and we know that in all things, everybody say all things, everything, God is working for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Awesome things that we didn't expect. I love that word. Would you just lift your hands like this? And now I'm praying over you, New Life East, to pray that you believe in your bones, that that's true. Praying that you would trust the promises of God over everything in your life that's disordered, everything in your life that's out of joint, everything in your life that's not working the way that it should, in all those places where you have no more power to fix it, you're waiting on God, I pray that you would trust that the psalmist, that what the psalmist said is true, that God is perfecting everything that concerns us. And so God, we lift all of that up into your hands. We pray that you give us faith and confidence to know that behind the scenes, you're cooking up a salvation that is gonna blow our minds. Meanwhile, teach us to lean back into the everlasting arms. Teach us to trust. Give us faith, we pray. New Life East, I pray over you. I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his bright, smiling countenance upon you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. We'll invite our prayer ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. Remember, if you're new with us, we'd love to see you in Connect Central. Fellowship Hour is happening right after this. Coffee and donuts uh, over there uh, in the cafeteria. So we'd love to hang out with you for a little bit. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. See you next Sunday.